welcome to The Connected Singer with Michael Hill and me, Julie Thompson. We're both singers and vocal coaches who love researching and learning new ways to keep in tip-top shape, vocally and mentally. We know that being a performer is a hugely rewarding but also demanding career for mind, body and soul. And we want to help you find the balance you need to keep going on your musical journey. Each week, we'll be speaking to performers, teachers and expert practitioners in a range of fields. From psychology to sports science to recce, who will share their knowledge and experiences to provide you with a toolkit of ways to keep well, beat performance anxiety, avoid burnout and get the most enjoyment out of the pursuit we all love, singing. Welcome back, everyone, to part two of Charlie Barnes's interview. I won't waste time with any more introductions, as no doubt you will have already listened to part one. So without further ado, let's kick off with how Charlie manages his vocal health. Enjoy. The Connected Singer. What would be quite interesting to hear is how are you looking after your voice on tour what are your regimes, um, whether it be warm-up, whether it be cool-down, whether it be neither? When, it would, when I started uh, with them five years ago, there was a, a warm-up tape, um, the, I say tape, um, that, that, <laughs> that everybody uh, did, did together, you know, sort of 15 minutes or whatever b- b- before we went on, maybe a bit more than that, you know, just b- before we went on stage as part of the, you know, the, the, the preparatory routine. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I, I just sort of did it and didn't really think about what any of the things that we were doing in it were for. Um, and and I think you know the, the guys had had this for a long time, so I don't think particularly even they remembered all the time which which parts of the routine were doing what for, for your voice. Yeah. Um, the more I did that, the more I started to try and think like, okay, why are we doing this thing, and what can I do? To, to, to make it actually be warming me up. Um, and I, I, think, I think it was fairly early on, I got into a habit of uh, not sitting down for an hour before we went on stage, um, which I'd still kind of try and keep up um, because it's just like going, going from sitting like this on your phone in the dressing room to <laughs> like playing to actual tens of thousands of people sometimes is um, maybe, I mean, if you, if you think about that, that discussion we had earlier about like, you know, treating the audience with some kind of respect yeah. by doing your best, like yeah. being prepared and being there and ready when you get on um, is, uh, is part of it. Like I, I, I think I started realizing uh, at some point in, in our touring that like it was taking me about three songs of the set to like really kind of get there. Um, like physically and, and feel like I was into it. So I started trying to work on getting my energy levels up before we went on stage. Went through a bit of a period of walking on stage with a coffee because it would kick in about halfway through the set and then I'd be <laughs> absolutely flying. I, was like, I don't know what, what your opinions on it are as, as, as vocal people, but I know a lot of people are like, coffee, no, never coffee. Um, the choir that, that, that we tour with sometimes, um, some of the guys from that are like, you drink coffee, like yeah, I'm drinking coffee. And they're like, how do you like do all of that high shit? And you're drinking all this coffee all the time. I'm like, I don't know. Let's just do it. <laughs> um, but there have been times before 
uh, working with this band where I, I got into like no no coffee and no drinking and no 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 cheese and no chili and no fun um, <laughs> uh, for um, for the times of, of being on tour. Um, but I, I've binned all of that. Um, so because yeah. it's you know it's it's only pop music, isn't it? Um, you know, well, I'm, <laughs> I'm not I'm not Pavarotti here. Um, but yeah, so the, the, and like, it's been nothing for most of the other time. So I mean, you know, yeah, exactly. it's, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's a very interesting uh, concept, isn't it? Because I think the thing you've hit on is that the energy is the key thing. You know, yeah. we're always telling people that your voice can do whatever you have the energy for. And of course, when it comes to food and drink, everyone has their rituals and, you know, whatever it might be. And, but, okay, some people have allergies, some people have reactions to foods, but generally, thankfully, nothing we eat or drink touches our vocal cords. Otherwise, yeah. we would, you know, choke. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it, it's funny that we all, and we're all guilty of it. I don't mean guilty, yeah. but we all have these like, I have to have my such and such before I do this and I have to have that. But really the, the, the crucial thing is that you're getting yourself stage ready. You're getting yourself yeah. energized. Yeah, yeah. I used to have the lemon honey ginger thing was a proper crutch. And I used to like, I'd, I'd fall apart if, it, if I couldn't get hold of some of that. And then, like so, so someone pointed out to me, they were like, "Well, the the, the, the lemon's quite acidic, um, and and the honey is just like gonna, like, it's it's just sugar basically." And and, and like I, I just stopped and realized oh, I don't need this. Uh, like, it's, it's it's not doing anything for me at all. I think, and I I think the, binning that off was part of maybe trying to <laughs> trying and very much failing uh, to become less neurotic about about singing and about my voice. Um, yeah. But uh, I mean, like I say, I've failed miserably on that. Um, well, <laughs> well, that's the, the, the perfect uh, segue for what we were going to ask uh, next because because it is true. <laughs> yeah, pat on the back. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for teeing that up. Um, the, the, the idea that, you know, we the voice is kind of extent, an extension of ourselves. And I think part of the ritualistic nature of people preparing for gigs is because, it, it, you know, it can feel very vulner vulnerable, people hearing us and not wanting it to be, not wanting to make mistakes, all of these things. So how, how do you, a kind of two-in-one question, how do you view your own voice? And also, how do you deal with the inner critic slash saboteur that we all have? Uh, well, on the latter point, in an hour, I'll be uh, on, on Skype to my therapist. Um, so, um, but uh, to be honest, uh, like like badly is, it, is the answer to, to the second part. It is a very weird thing that we do um, as, a, as, a, as a profession. And as, as soon as people started telling me that I was good at it, I think I, I think I believed that for a bit, rested on my laurels for a while. Um, and then I started drastically overanalyzing myself. Um, and I, f I feel like with my own voice, I'm chasing, chasing this absolutely unachievable thing where like, I'm, I'm sure that I've, I've, that there's been some performance or some recording in the past where, where, where I've, I'd, I've made this sound with my voice and that's how I want my voice to sound. And that's, that's what I think it really sounds like. Um, and then looking at any of the evidence that I have, be it my, my recorded output or 
God forbid the times when I'm stupid enough to watch back uh, TV like performances and like festivals and things like that, or anything that that, that might be kicking around um, from from my like more professional work. Um, I, I just like crumble and be like, oh god, no, it sounds awful, and and I just get into this very deep well of of belief that I like just don't have a nice voice and I don't understand why anyone would want to listen to it. But simultaneously, knowing that, oh, if I just work a bit harder though, I'll, it'll sound like what, what I think it sounds like and then and then people will like it and, and, and I'll like it too and it'll all be great. Um, but uh, it's, 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 it's an interesting, re- really difficult one and I, 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 basically, I, I beat myself up a lot um, and our most recent... Um, vocal coach who's who's been knocking around uh with us um at some like bigger uh performances and some like rehearsal periods a lady called Evie Burnett who you might mm-hmm. come across um she like she she sort of tells me off for um for, for for beating myself up as much and I've I've been come off stage after gigs and been you know feeling awful when and she's been there and and she's like did did you think you, you didn't sound very good and I was like yeah I sounded rubbish she's like you sounded good is the thing. <laughs> like, I, I think I, I, holding myself uh, to an unachievable um, standard um, is, and it's, it's a thing that I've, I've come, come to learn has the name imposter syndrome. Um, yeah. and, uh, yeah. and it's something from which I uh, definitely um, suffer. And that, that's basically the hardest bit of what I do for a living. And, and the really low points that I have when I'm on tour and when I feel utterly dejected um, and, and you know, like, feel like I can't possibly do this job anymore. It is, it, it's never to do with uh, the guitar playing or the piano playing or any of that stuff. It's always the singing. Um, you know, literally, literally like the, 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 the first first line of the song that we opened the set with that, that I'm involved with sometimes I would I was letting myself and this was a stupid thing to be doing but if like if I felt like I got that fractionally wrong I was like right gig off and uh, and I would just autopilot my way through through much of the rest of it um, which was really destructive and stupid um, and yeah. I would say trust Evie she's from Aberdeen <laughs> she, she would tell you if it was rubbish it's a Scottish trait I've been told so many times by Scottish audiences if you're good or not so. but thank you for sharing that um, Charlie because I think that's something that a lot of singers you know however however great your audience is, how big or small or how much success you have or don't, it's something that we all suffer from um, yeah. and have difficulty dealing with and actually not talking, allowed to talk about it actually. And, and maybe to our very close ones who perhaps don't understand the business even, which is, which is nice because it's a comfort, but they don't realise what it's like because they're not going yeah. through this, um, these ups and downs. It's, it's an odd one to have like someone in, in the, there aren't that many people in the same position as you to, to, to talk about or that are willing to talk about it because you've got to be seen, as you say, you know, this imposter syndrome is so strong that you've got to sort of overcompensate and be seen to be dealing with everything and coping with everything. And yeah, I'm fine. I'm the most confident person in the world. You know, (laughs) in the meantime, you're in the corner or in the toilet. Go, Oh my God. (laughs) Warm-ups, warm-ups. Have about honey and lemon. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's, yeah, I think, thank you because I think it's really important to have this conversation and, and for us to open up, because you know, it might be that you are a singer and songwriter on your own, and you're out gigging on your own. You're the only singer 
in the band or you see yourself as the only main singer, if you like, that you've got no one to talk to about that. And you might then then stop making music, which is then a real, real shame. And, yeah. and you see that quite often where people lose the confidence so much when they're absolutely amazing. Yeah. And uh, and I'll just say that I've listened to your stuff recently and, and you're absolutely amazing. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I just have to throw that in. Because me, I'll be under the table. <laughs> <laughs> but what a voice, really. I was like, wow. Um, so, and, and that's such a shame that I shouldn't, shouldn't get to that stage, you know. So I think we should be talking about it more. And I think more people in the business that are in a situation like yourself or, or, or front people uh, or solo artists that, that should be talking about it before they're cancelling gigs, yeah. not after afterwards, you know, where they're, yeah, they're having to cancel gigs, but then it finally comes out maybe that it's because of vocal nodules or something, which is, is another physical result of, uh, of this psychological disorder because yeah. maybe you're, you're not singing as often or maybe you're getting tensions in the body um you know the psychological side is affecting you physically and therefore the voice isn't functioning as well and these kind of things and and I think for the singer it's it's terrible for the artist that's going through that stage and then to come out in the end to have to actually you know open up about it as well um having not had that perhaps support but also for those singers like who are listening to the podcast today that are going through that and thinking I can't I've got to be perfect and I think it makes us even more perfectionistic as artists and and singers and and musicians than we already are (laughs) and and we, we talked about that didn't we just when you're a professional in a job very rarely, not that you need your ego stroked or whatever, but very rarely do, does someone actually say, oh, that was really good. I mean, I was saying to Julie that, uh, it's a totally silly thing, I had to send in a vocal technique tips video for uh, a little sort of TV thing. And I did it and I thought it was quite fun and I thought the examples were quite good. And then you send it off to the busy production team and, and they just go, Great, that's different to the other stuff in the series. Thanks. And you're kind of, and then it's a battle because you automatically go, oh, he did not say it sounded good. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> you know, and you just <laughs> think, why didn't, why didn't they say that's, that was really helpful or I found that useful? And you start, then you have to go, hang on. Hello, weird devil on my shoulder. You know, be quiet for five seconds. Yeah, yeah. Let, let me. Let me think. The sick parrot, as it's uh, referred to <laughs> sometimes as well. Um, I think there's, there's an interesting balance. Anytime you do something and you don't get showered with praise, you feel like a, a failure. I mean, not showered with praise, but you know, you do, if there's not a, a, a positive comment in there or, or, or an obviously positive comment in there, rather than just thinking, hey, maybe that just goes without saying, um, because, because, hey, this piece that I did for this TV show about singing techniques was so damn good. Um, you know, or like, obviously they thought it was great because just look at the thing. Um, but also now from being in the uh, sort of slightly higher echelons of the, of the touring world from time to time, um, I, <laughs> I sort of approach compliments with a bit of suspicion as well. <laughs> I'll I'll simultaneously I I feel like I'm desperate for people to compliment what I'm doing um, and 
as soon as there is a compliment, I'm like, mm, yeah, but do you really mean that? Uh, like, <laughs> so is it like I've I, I've dug myself a really really awful uh, hole to to dwell in that I'm just trying to kind of pull myself out of. Um, so so, so uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did Judy just saying that because of the show now? <laughs> <laughs> like it's. I'm the only person that, that that can fix that in me, but like I just don't know where it's happened. But just like over the years, um, I don't know whether it's down to what like st- other people have said to me, or how I feel like things have been perceived along the way, or just listening back to stuff and just cringing. But I've I've really built up this this quite strong belief that I that, that, that I'm no good and like like I have to try and remind myself and try and think about all the times when you know like in in those early uh, stages of, of of you know slotting me into the Bastille lineup when everyone was like really excited about some of the stuff that I could I could do um for them particularly vocally um like I, I have to try and remind myself of that that excitement and the, and the stuff that, that, that people said then and there. and also you know just try and think of the the the, the other times with you know you know like you say the, the the times when when the couple from the back of the room comes and compliments you and like mm. often at, at my you know my solo shows it's been you know people talking about something to do with 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 my voice um, and uh, and I have to try and remind myself like well as much as you don't believe it sunshine <laughs> there are some people who do and you might not be an arrogant asshole for letting yourself believe that for like two minutes so that you can get on with your day and <laughs> grind your eyes out after every gig <laughs> not that I do that but there have been some um, <laughs> but um, it's just made me think actually because we were we were talking to another um, vocal coach singer in uh, in LA uh, Russ Kennedy um, had a, also a very varied career well worked with a lot of artists himself uh, over the years and he was talking about the artistry actually and and focusing on that and your connection to the music and really sort of emotionally connecting to it as a way and a tool of of dealing with performance anxiety so as an artist going out doing your own stuff could you say that that would be perhaps when you're actually doing when you're in doing it it's easier perhaps to lose yourself and be less critical um, mm. because you're connected more in that sense whereas backing vocals yeah, it's not the same emotionally, you know, because the front singer's doing that and you've got to support them. So, um, and it's all about possibly more, as Raz was also talking about, the technique and making sure the blend yeah. is correct. And, and so you're more focused on that. And is that then perhaps more open to criticism, perhaps, for you? Or is it the other way around? Is there a difference? And how do you I do think, it? I, th- I think probably, th- like, thinking logically, I, th- I think that's probably bang on, actually. Um, like and and I'd be like particularly with a, a band like Bastille, where um, a, a lot of the the songs themselves um, are, are inspired by like TV shows and, and mm. movies and, and books and stuff. So it's like it, you know it, it, it's not it, it's not necessarily this kind of confessional singer songwriter emotion thing, which very much contrasts with where I come from, which is totally like the lay your soul bare kind of world. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I think yeah that there's that w- when I was talking earlier about. Um, the the little support slot that I did for my mate Simon um, in Manchester, and I, and I had that kind of moment of of, of realization of, of of how how nice it felt to just be in a in in a half empty pub again singing my stuff. There was something quite specific 
to do with the emotional connection to the music um, and I, I guess not having to follow anyone else's lead um, and, and not having to sort of, like you say, concentrate on the technique stuff. I mean, th- there is concentrating on the technique stuff and I've brought that across from my like more professional work to my uh, more like obviously creative type work. Um, there, I definitely think more about the technique while I'm doing it than I used to. Um, and that, and that keeps keeps growing, but I, th- I I think that's probably just because I'm learning more and hopefully getting better. Um, I, th- I I think yeah that that like it it is kind of easier to 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 do my own shows without um, beating myself up afterwards because they're because it, I guess if depending on on the songs I'm playing, um, there, 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 there can be, you know, a bit of catharsis and, you know, the, the, the exercising of some, of some demons or the, you know, the re- reflecting on, on previous times that, that I've kind of distilled down into these like quite brief, um, messages essentially as, 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 as pop songs. Um, but the, that said, when I did, um, the tour I did at, as, as a band frontman after Oceanography came out. So that was with a slightly different lineup. Um, I, I kind of changed things around a bit um, and, and like hired a couple of people. For the first chunk of it, it was the same drummer as previous, who was another uh, Leeds College of Music uh, graduate, Steve Anderson, um, who is one of the... Uh, he, he's, the, he's the best drummer I have ever played with and I think will ever play with and probably have ever seen. He's wow. absolutely sensational um but so it's a he, 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 yeah. <laughs> so he was he did he was on board for it uh, and i also had my friend ed um also known as ed the dog who was playing bass and guitar and a little bit of keys he was basically being me for me um he uh so we did, it was the three of us with quite a bit of the hideous backing track stuff going on um to try and do a proper full production in a pub was the, was the idea um for 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 kind of for, for the bulk of, of that tour um I, I was feeling really unhappy with with my performance and with with just ha- how I felt about about the whole thing which was really weird because that was definitely by far the best a band playing my stuff has ever been um it was like you know I've, I've, I've seen a couple of like little videos back that people shot on their phones from from the front row or whatever and just been like, wow, yeah, that was like, you know, it, at, at the risk of, of blowing my own, own trumpet, that was really fucking good. Um, but I like, I remember at the, the the London date of that show where we had like, there were a lot of people there, mostly down to the support act having like cheap list for their mates, but nonetheless, it was a pretty full <laughs> room. Um, I like, I, I I got to the end of what should have been like the most triumphant feeling as a, as a performer of my own music I, I should have ever had. Uh, and I sort of finished the last song, went, all right, see you, and walked off. Uh, and I felt dreadful. Um, and I, I nearly cancelled the rest of everything as well because oh. I, I just felt so... I, I guess I didn't have that connection to it in, in, yeah. in the way that yeah. actually in a half-empty pub in Manchester on Me Todd With Me Acoustic, um, yeah. I, I really did. So that, 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 um, that made me... That was kind of a bit of a realization point of like maybe it's time to start looking at this project that I've always seen as like a alternative rock world project. Maybe thinking about it slightly differently and maybe realizing that that's that's not what it's going to be for, for for the time being. And maybe I need to look elsewhere and find something that feels more me, um, more me now, um, and 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 where I feel more comfortable with the singing, which is fundamentally the reason people are listening to it. 
um, yeah. in, in the first place. And so I, I, I guess when it is just me, and so I've, I've, I've done a, a handful of, of other solo um, shows like last year I did I did a short run of three gigs in the summer and then I supported uh, a band called Joywave um, in London on my own who they supported Bastille in the US so it was like a, you know just a, a pretty easy connection to make there but um, there, there, there was something then on in, in this new setup where it's you know just me um, and, I, and I and and also like not having to listen to a click track or anything. So not having to have in-ears in um, and being able to, so like, you know, I have one in to be able to hear the, the guitar clearly and take the other one out so that I can just hear me in the room because it's not loud. It's, you know, it, it's a PA system running, a, you know, a, a dude and a guitar. It, it doesn't have to be super cranked. And, um, yeah. and I think, you know, I forgive myself much more with, with, with that setup and with those performances, the moments where I, you know, I hear the fact that, you know, something, some singing in, in some part of it is a little bit shonky and, and maybe not absolutely pristinely perfect because I am so connected to, to, to the songs and so connected to the people, um, in, in the room. And, and I think, um, that the, the vocal coach you spoke to, um, in talking about the, the emotional connection being, um, of such importance and, and such a, such a way through, um, any of the, the, the technical woes, um, that, that might, uh, you know, kind of plague your, your, your pursuit of, of singing. Um, yeah. there's, there's, there's a lot to be said for really digging into that and focusing on that. Cause, cause that's, that's what, you know, like I, I, I think of it, when I think of the, the stuff that I like, um, and the stuff that really gets me, it's not. It's not always perfect. Like the the, the vocal performances are. You, there's there's a lot of virtuosity going on, but it's by no means absolutely on the nail every time. But then when you hear, you know, the the, the talking heads on documentaries talking about the, the, the these performances, they. The, the, the you know the the, the general populace or even yeah. the peers sometimes they remember it as all as being completely perfect. Um, even yeah. even though there's there's evidence to the contrary, you know there's there's you know the, like magic in 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 vocal performance and hearing someone sing doesn't come from perfection. No. There are so many so many cases of that, aren't there? There's I uh, I was thinking of because it was on the the repeat of uh, David Bowie at Glastonbury. There was a few kind of you know these documentaries all pop up, and there's one. There was an interview uh, I saw recently with Niall Rogers and he had produced Let's Dance, you know. Um, and apparently David Bowie had done the take and, you know, done the big sort of dramatic bit in the, the, the chorus and thought he had totally messed it up and wanted to get rid of it, you know, don't like it. And apparently Niall was pleading with him, you know, this is the take, this is the one. Um, you know, I might be paraphrasing, but the, the, the point is, is that you listen to that track and you think, that sounds great. Yeah. It sounds amazing. But his perception of it was, it was awful. Yeah. Or it wasn't good <laughs> enough. Or my voice cracked on the high note. Whereas you just hear it as a, as a fan and you think, oh, he must have been putting some emotion into that or something. Yeah, yeah. Perceptions are such a weird thing. <laughs> David, you're very wise in lots of areas, but you would... Dead wrong on that one. <laughs> the Connected Singer. We're grateful to Charlie for raising the important issues of mental well-being and dealing with rumination and negative self-talk. Firstly, 
If you're worried about the way you're feeling or going through a difficult time, it might help to speak to your doctor. Mental health is just as important as physical health, and the two are often closely connected. If you're interested in exploring ways to increase calm, confidence, and creativity as a performer, there are a number of books and online resources available. We're always on the lookout for tips, tricks, and ideas, so here are just a handful of things we found useful. It's important to find what works for you, and hopefully, this will help you in your research. The UK National Health Service has a library of apps and online tools, often free, including Feeling Good, which is an app designed to help you build confidence, energy, and a positive mindset. The psychologist Ethan Cross has released a book called Chatter, based on innovative brain and behavioral research. The book explains how our inner voice works and provides practical techniques to tackle negative self-talk and find your inner cheerleader. Dr. Matthew Lieberman and a group of researchers at the University of California found that simply giving feelings a name can reduce their power. Whether you name what you're feeling in your mind, write it down, or say it out loud. There are lots of articles online about this approach, known as affect labelling. And those of you interested in exploring alternative perspectives and approaches to help support your development, there is also a fascinating and wonderfully inspiring book called You're Not Broken, written by personal development coach Christopher Michael Duncan. Backed by science, he uncovers how our levels of consciousness are influencing our behaviour and how connecting to our superconscious can keep us focused on our creative journey whilst helping put that inner critic and those negative beliefs to bed. He refreshingly couples this with the importance of creative structure for creative flow and success. Really interesting stuff and very effective for overcoming performance anxiety and writer's block. The charity Mind has some free online resources on mindfulness, a very popular attention training technique. The author Comedian and psychotherapist Ruby Wax has written a series of books on mindfulness, including Saying New World. These books are informative, practical, and very funny. You may also wish to explore other evidence-based relaxation techniques, such as progressive muscle relaxation, Tai Chi, and autogenic training. Your doctor can also advise you on other approaches that might work for you. Finally, An ever-growing body of research shows that singing is great for our mental and physical health. So, let your voice soar whenever you can. The Connected Singer But this um, this leads actually quite nicely to a question we wanted to to ask you as well. And that is... um, because of the uh, the lockdown, the situation that we're currently in as we're recording this at the moment, um, I'm sure your whole musical experience has changed somewhat. Mm-hmm. And you have mentioned that you have started to record things at home on your own. How do you deal with this situation where, as we've seen with David Bowie, <laughs> working with a producer... But when you're working with someone, they're saying, that tape was amazing. And you're like, no, 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 I want to do it again. I want to do it again. And they might say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, do it again. But then they take the first one. (laughs) But when you're on your own, you haven't got that person in the room saying, that's amazing or that was great. We'll take it. How do you deal then with this inner critic while you're 
choosing your takes or while you're recording? How are you dealing with that situation? And I say badly again. <laughs> um, the idea of, of, of the you kind of fighting with, with the person producing does remind me of uh, of working on Doctor Adam Martin's Masters, <laughs> in which he, he he produced one of my songs and we were doing the vocals for it. <laughs> we were working on this song and, and and he was saying like, yeah, this this sounds brilliant, this sounds really great. And I w- I would come back into the control room, listen back to it, and I would just basically jump over him and press delete, um, <laughs> uh, which must have. Been been somewhat frustrating for him um, but I, he, 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 I, I remember he handled it all very diplomatically um, yeah I, so like I've, I've not got actually all of that much experience of, of my my singing being produced by somebody else um, so I mean I, I, obviously I did music technology stuff um, from being a teenager uh, and, and you know was, was recording at home before I formally started doing all of those kind of uh, qualifications um, but yeah it's, I, I've most for, for the most part I've been in charge of it and other than that session with um, with with Adam um, the only other time really that I've actually had somebody else produce um, my singing that I can that, that I can think of I, I might be I might have completely blanked something from my memory here um, <laughs> well as a lead singer anyway I have had other people produce me as a backing singer but as a lead singer um, was um, on the more stately mansions album with uh, with Steve producing my singing and I kind of didn't I, I'm not to be honest even really sure what my technique for vocal recording and production had had really been. I don't think I had a particular system for it. Um, there was definitely a lot of like recording a bunch and editing something together going on. Um, I've fairly strongly veered away from the world of tuning as much as I can. Because, um, I mean, that's there's a whole other like kettle of fish to fall into that is, it's like... You, you can you can beat yourself up for for not being perfect, and then you don't actually know how level the playing field is a lot of the time, um, because because it's 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 so unnoticeable these days. Um, but that's yeah, a yeah. really boring technical <laughs> discussion to get into, and, and not really that's that, that's that's not what we're about today. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, um, I, Steve, uh, and I, I mentioned before the, that Steve and I had realised when we started doing that week but essentially we had a week in a cottage in Wales that I'd hired to record all the vocals for the album and we, we didn't get it done there was one song we had to do at his house um, back in, in Manchester afterwards um, but we just hadn't clocked the fact that I hadn't practiced or even tried singing these songs in my full uh, register before uh, mm-hmm. so that that made for quite a lot of uh, difficulties um, in yeah, getting there. So yeah. I, I guess what what was useful uh, having a producer there was just having someone who was helping me work out where I should be taking breaths and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. But his it, his approach was uh, for the most part doing it um, line by line or couplet or couplet couplet by couplet and like chopping things together and and whatever. Like it, the, the the world of, of vocal recording these days is pretty dishonest, sadly, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, which which is a real shame. Um, but it's, it, I, I guess, I, I, again, I, I, I think that's a boring discussion to get into. But do you think, well, just very quickly, do you think then, putting a different twist on it, that's why we become perfectionists? Because we are doing that line by line and therefore that's got to be 100%. And yeah. whereas, I mean, even someone like Adele, they say, the producers have always said, yeah, well, she actually sung it through full for three three times and then 
<laughs> they had to do the work of picking which books were, were best. Yeah. But it meant that they she was in the flow. I think even Amy Winehouse was very renowned for coming in, doing a take, going oh. right off. As if, as if she needed to do more than one take. I mean, you mentioned Glastonbury. Like I saw one of the tracks from her set, and even though you can see that she's completely strung out on something and in a very bad way, yeah, the the the, the performance is is genuinely spot on, and is not just you know kind of rose tints looking back. It's about as close to perfect as you could possibly hope someone to be on a on a on a on a huge stage like that. It's it, it's amazing. Um, but I I, I found the, the vocal recording for More Stately Mansions quite stressful, and I did like well. It, it's easy for me to find something to beat myself up about anyway. Um, but you know, it, it it made me feel bad. I was like, oh, how, why did why couldn't I just get it in like three takes and whatever like uh, and you know thinking that that was the way that it was done but I, I wasn't looking at it for, for for the facts of the situation which is that I'd never sung the songs before properly I'd not done I'd, I'd not played a load of them at a load of gigs beforehand a couple of the songs which I had played a bunch of times with with my band in you know pubs and stuff um, beforehand I nailed those ones they were really easy um, you know that, that, that was no problem we, we still did quite a few takes yeah. um uh, and but and, and and I think because this was Steve's first time being the producer of somebody else's thing, like he he had a very heavy hand in the production of the last Ocean Size album and EP, um, but this was the first time he'd been in charge of somebody else's thing. I think he was really desperate not to screw it up and not to let me down. Um, so I think that's part of where maybe we went further than than we needed to on 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 some of those recordings, but. On, on reflection, you know, like there's a load of good stuff in there and it, I'm pleased with, with how it came out and I learned a lot. Um, and I think going on from there, what I've tended to do um, nowadays and, and now that I am more often, uh, well, all the time basically, it's just me producing it. I don't do as many takes. I very rarely do line by line. Um, I mostly do the whole song and then I'll pick what I can and then I'll do anything that I, I really am not happy enough with that, like you know a certain line or whatever that, that needs looking at or as is the case in quite a lot of my songs there'll be a whole bunch of stuff in this register and then a whole bunch of stuff in this register so I might treat those as separate entities because from a from a technical standpoint um if, if I'm you know really close into the microphone and singing some very like quiet um, hush stuff and then I break out into my like silly high up stuff that as a as a thing to kind of ride technically is quite difficult um, so I'll, I'll sometimes treat treat those as, as separate entities um, but I, I think I have got more and more into the idea of like practice it a bunch of times don't hit record for the first um, how many goes? Maybe practice it a bunch of the day before or whatever. You know, just just get into the get into. The, I mean, I'm still not properly in that habit, but try and get into the habit of being more uh, rehearsed on things. Like I do that with my guitar, so why don't I do it with my voice, basically? Um, yeah. And then just try and do yeah a, a, a smaller number of takes. Still, you know, like I'll still pick the best bits of the be- of, of you know each of of those takes to to put together into the the final thing but then i i suppose the the excuse for doing that um is that this this recording is going to live for essentially ever um so it's you know it's it's it, you're not uh, you, you're not cheating too much by like it's it's still it's still all me um it's yeah. just you know that, that like one line was from then and one line was from then um you know it's 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 not um you know i i guess you you sort of 
the, the, the technology's there, so you might as well be using it. But I just try my best to use it in a way where I don't feel um, kind of disingenuous um, and, 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 and I don't feel like I'm conning the listener. And I don't then have the fear that when it comes to me playing it in a half-empty pub, people are going to be like, you can't sing that. <laughs> like, you know, there's, there's a real balancing act there. Exactly. And I think you've hit on a really good point, actually. And that's possibly a problem with the technology today and, and the, the pressures that the artists are facing is that they've got a, a ruling schedule, perhaps, and aren't given the same amount of time to create an album as previous. Um, and therefore, they then rely on the technology to, to make them sound amazing and perfect, mm. <laughs> you know, and then the expectation is larger and greater when you're out on the stage. And of course, the added, the added um, factor into all of this is that people are going around with phones, <laughs> recording every performance. <laughs> and, you know, you can find footage of anybody anywhere these days. And as a performer, yeah. you know that now. So it's like, oh my God, I've got to be 100% you know, or 150%, I've got to be better than better, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and perhaps you haven't had that time. You might've had some time in the studio, but I still believe it's not as it used to be <laughs> where, you know, bands would disappear for two years. You know, it's so fast paced yeah. things to do. And, and as you were saying, the advantages of being on tour a lot is that if you're doing it correctly. You've got the right technique, then you should be vocally fit. So, so it should be easier. Um, yeah. But again, it's about levels. And when you go into the studio and you're writing, your level is different to, to when you're performing a full song on a stage. So you've got to get into that mood as well. And there's all those kind of things going on. And you don't necessarily have a full band there and you're not playing with the full band to record it. So you haven't got the energy of them. So there's a yeah. lot of factors put into recording. Um, and so we then are so grateful to have the technology to go, oh, well, can you just fix that? You know, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, I think the emotion was there for that one. So just fix it. And then, yeah. And then it's kind of then maybe I'm, I'm being a little bit controversial, but it's mixed to perfection compressed to high heaven yeah. <laughs> and then you've got to sound like that live yeah like wow okay that's quite a quite a, a pressure and for singers especially I think because with guitars as you said you know you've got your effects pedals <laughs> you, you haven't hopefully haven't been dragging that through the rain and which is what we do to our bodies and then yeah and then we've got to be perfect so I think yeah, it's quite a lot of, of pressure and I wonder, you know, without going into the, the auto-tune stuff, you know, it's an interesting point that, I mean, we as, as vocal coaches in that side of our, our work, yeah. we, we would always teach people that, you know, there's a certain range within a given pitch where you're still in tune. If you are maybe a soul R&B singer, you might be slightly under that centre of the note because it's a slidey thing. If you're a Tony Bennett jazz singer, you hit the bang in the middle of the note and it sounds stylistic. But that's kind of that's kind of not allowed now. And that's a bit scary that it's like it's 440 hertz or bust, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, the, and, and, and yeah, you know, so like the, 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 there are so all, all of those, those great examples. And, and the, the, you know, the, those kinds of like retrospective documentaries we've mentioned where they say, oh, you know, they, they, they came in and they just did it in, in one take. Um, and it's like, well, yes, because the expectation was different. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, 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 this, this kind of 
world of absolutely perfect performances didn't exist. And these people came in connected to the music and, 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 you know, and, and also like, like, like you alluded to with having had the time, uh, you know, to, to, to focus on the task at hand and not necessarily be worrying about having to get on a plane in five minutes to go to, you know, wherever to, to, to play a corporate show for, you know, whoever, um, <laughs> Yeah. Like it's there's the the, the 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 atmosphere, the expectation, everything was different, and and I think for the, for the most part, that's why stuff from back in the day just had a bit more magic to it. Um, and and I think so so much of, of of what you find in 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 production nowadays, not necessarily um, the, the really kind of high end silky pop production, but um, you know maybe more uh, like like. The, the the kind of world that, that I slightly come from, or, or the more kind of you know, like countryish or folky or whatever. Basically, all of the, the the plugins people have on their computers and all of the the, the bits of, of gear that you use, most of it is trying to make a computer sound like an old uh, an, an old tape machine studio that that, yeah. that that you would wander into, where some geezer in a white coat would be setting up the faders. For, you know. <laughs> it's it's to, to try and in a fairly sterile environment recapture the magic of, of the old days. And I'd like, I, was it last year? I think it was last year. Um, I, have, I, I don't know what day it is anymore. Um, got the most amazing experience that I feel so fortunate to, to have had. Um, and, and I, I will cherish that memory forever because it was just one of the best days of my life. But, um, we, we got to go and do some recording at Abbey road. Um, with a load of orchestral players and like I, I got to do some swirly post-rock electric guitars all over this stuff oh, which was great fun for me um but um at the, at the end of the day um we and you know this was a long day we were there for like 13 14 hours i think something like that um at the end of the day or towards the end of the day we did the the, the vocal part after all of the you know orchestral stuff had, had, had gone down and the billions of layers of like amazing percussion and uh, and whatnot um we we set up to, to to do the to do the singing part. So Dan was in one of the one of the booths, and we're like, we're talking studio two as well, like the studio. Um, you know, he's, he's in one of the vocal booths with something from their mic collection that, like, you, like you just think of the voices that have gone down that thing, um, and and it's you know it's a proper vintage mic that's been preserved by uh, by the chap who's. Oh, I'm so upset that I've forgotten his name. This guy came in who is the, the keeper of the microphones at Abbey Road. I'm so sorry that I forgot his name, but he, I just thought, oh, that's the most amazing well, job. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, singing into that, and that, that was a case where, where for him it was like, right, couple of goes and you've got all of that magic and energy in that room to take in and, and he completely nailed it. Um, you know, no problem. And the, the, the engineers were saying like, Wow, well, we we don't need to go anywhere near the autotune for this one, do we? This guy's nailing it because um, oh, it sounded amazing. And then for the, the 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 other four of us who were singing the backing vocals um, for it, you know, we're we're li- in a line in studio two, um, <laughs> you know, and and definitely one ear on, one ear off to hear <laughs> the like. I like I heard the sound of my own voice in studio two at Abbey Road, and like <laughs> that 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 just completely palpable sense of magic um, that, that goes with it just meant that like we all smashed it um, because like 
you, it, 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 like you couldn't not in, in that situation because it's so inspiring to, to be in there and to, and, and also just knowing that like, well, you know, you've only really got a couple of goes at it because, you know, <laughs> <laughs> been here a long bloody time and this studio isn't the cheapest one there is really. Um, and, 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 and like when I, when I listened back to, to that recording, I was sort of like, you know, very smugly, just like, yeah, like we sound really good on this. And, and that was a real like pat on the back moment. But I think, a lot of it kind of comes from the fact that there there was that magic and that energy and you feel like on a really boring note like when you're watching reviews of microphones and things on online like a lot of the producers will talk about um the way a microphone looks to the singer um mm. and how that might inspire them and in the the scenario we have nowadays where there are fewer um, big studios kicking around where you just get you, you just, like part of what you're paying for is the magic of, of being in that space and getting to do it yeah, um, yeah. nowadays we sort of have to think about that and be like right how am I going to get the energy um, okay. when I'm you know at home with with my dog down there um, <laughs> and, and, and and I've got I've got, got, got to record um, a, a take that's going to be worthy of, of, of being released on this thing that I really care about yeah. um, and it, yeah. it's it it, it it does raise a, a lot of a lot of challenges and a lot of like kind of getting yourself in the zone yeah uh, has to happen Absolutely. I, I, I remember as a child seeing a, a, a compilation of the old grey whistle test and the first ever appearance and I'm, I'm such a pop history nerd uh, the first <laughs> appearance by Roxy Music on the Old Grey Whistle Test Brian Ferry singing into this giant B microphone it's like multicoloured and I just remember they were all wearing these like bright colours and this microphone I thought that's that would be my greatest achievement if I could just get to sit and sing in front of one of them <laughs> job done <laughs> Don't need to do anything. Else. So all, all you need, Charlie, is just shove one of those bumblebee shaped things <laughs> on top of that one, and then you'll be like in the glam rock heaven. Yeah, and all, all of a sudden, I'll be wearing a white suit. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> If you do want to catch Charlie and Bastille performing a million pieces at Abbey Road in 2019, you can either find it on YouTube under Bastille Videos or just simply by clicking the link in the info below this podcast episode. I'd say it's well worth a watch, especially now after hearing Charlie's personal account of how it was to record in Abbey Road. It seems to feel a little bit more special now we have the insider's account of it. But finally, to round up, let's move on to what Charlie has in store for his near future. The Connected Singer. Just because we've had such an amazing time chatting to you and uh, it's been such a great conversation. Um, there's been, yeah, it's been so much fun, yeah. uh, Charlie. I'd like to just ask just one final question. <laughs> What's next for you? Right now, <laughs> Ooh. Um, well, well, right now, um, in the time that we're, we're recording this, um, I'm, <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'm a couple of days away from an album coming out, um, which is which is really exciting. Um, so I, I I made an album uh, over a, about a year in this home studio that I'm in now. That um, my my wife and I we we had our garage converted so that I could have somewhere to stick all of my crap, um, basically. Um, many guitars that we see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, there's like a piano over there. There's like more microphones over there. There's all all sorts of stuff. Um, but um, I, I I basically to 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 test it out. Um, I recorded an album of 
uh, slightly more stripped back versions of some of the songs from Oceanography and more stately mansions. Um, I, I guess slightly in response to the fact of, of maybe of, of those realizations that I had that actually when it's just me and a guitar, I get to something with these songs that I perhaps don't get to when it's the when, when it's the full production. So it was an interesting way to explore um, explore them, and also it, with some of the songs, just a, an interesting challenge to take something that is a really heavy fuzz laden like big belty rock song and turn it into like a, a, a almost like Americana-ish ballad with loads of lap steel on it um, and, and stuff um, so that, that, was, that was a fun experiment but it, it, it was supposed to just be a couple of bonus tracks but um, I'd written one new uh, one new song uh, that was slightly following on from a lot of the themes from the Oceanography album and that, that sort of summed up where I was after that point quite nicely. And this like quite, I, I guess, good point that I'd got to of, of realizing that maybe I'm, I've got some, some new ideas about music and, and, and where I want to be and what I want to do with it. And some slightly more, you know, kind of, I guess, like, just honest uh, reflections and, and whatever. So I, I recorded that. And the more of these like stripped back versions that I was playing about with, um, the more, the more of them I, I really enjoyed doing. So it, I, I essentially said to my album, like, do you mind if instead of two bonus tracks, I give you a 40 minute record? Is that okay? <laughs> um, and they were like, yeah, sure, go for it. So, uh, so that, that comes out on Friday. The, the, the first track's already out. Well, Friday as we're speaking. So that's July the 3rd. So it'll already, it'll already be out. Um, uh, and so that I, I'm, I'm doing a few, uh, or I am doing or will have been doing, depending on the timing, um, a bunch of uh, live stream concerts on my Instagram channel um, just to, just to, you know, in, in lieu of, of doing some shows in half empty pubs, essentially. Um, but um, I'm, I'm like, I've had a weird relationship with social media where I didn't really use it for three years and paid my mate Ryan to do it instead. Um, but I've, 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 Got back in, got back in the driving seat now that I've uh, had a bit of therapy, and uh, <laughs> um, I'm, it's, it's 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 really exciting. I'm, I I I did play on on a friend's live stream the other day, and it actually felt like that, that that thing I was talking about about the where you get the connection with the music, and you're not thinking about the. The, the technique so much like all the practicing I did before it it was all thinking technique da, 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 da. and then even though all I could actually see was on my phone a bit of my mate Ralph's face and like just <laughs> loads of little emojis going up and down the screen I was like oh no this this is a thing there are people here but not here and 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 there was a, a so I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to doing those um it'll be quite nice I'm gonna play a bunch of songs that I would never normally do at a gig um so that'll, yeah. that'll be good fun um, and then given that, uh, I, I, I'm not going to be going on tour anytime soon, um, because of the, the, the global situation, um, <laughs> I'm probably going to crack on with making an album in here. Um, so I've got, I've got a bunch of stuff written, um, and I, I'll just, I, I kind of want to, everything I've done has been quite open-ended uh, albums-wise for the last few goes. There's not really been a proper deadline. There's not particularly been a like, right, here's the point that we're doing it. And that's it. There's always, it's always ended up just sprawling and getting longer and longer and longer. So I'm going to try and set myself a quite strict um, period of time and just be like, right, have a, have a couple of months of proper Monday to Friday, nine to five in it. Um, making making an album and see see how it comes out doing it that way, um, and and doing it under my own steam. 
I suppose that's the advantage of being a solo artist and being completely controlled in this environment. You're just relying on yourself, aren't you? Yeah, yeah I absolutely. Guess, I guess with Bastille, if they're if they're recording at the moment, it's the logistical thing that they're going yeah, to have. Yeah, for them, they're, they're 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 in the fortunate position of having their own studio in in London that that yeah. Dan and their producer Mark um, work out of, and and another friend of theirs, Dan, who's another songwriter. Yeah, um, yeah, and uh, and so they that they. Uh, can that they can set that there's there's enough space in there um for them to yeah. still be able to, to keep keep things going I, I, I think, yeah that, um they're also a band like because of the, the way dan works in that he never ever ever stops writing that um there's just there's always there's always stuff knocking around um so he, he, he does a lot of work on tour um so it's it's not they've not really been the conventional we go to the studio type band they, they do it in a in a really different way and occasionally get old muggins ear down to do the odd the odd, <laughs> the odd thing um so i've got a studio the drummer's got a studio at his house as well um that kyle the keyboard player he's got loads of studio stuff at, at his flat so i, I think uh, back and forth there might be some uh, some pretty big file transfers going on now and then <laughs> over over the next few months depending on uh, if if there's anything that uh, that Dan and Mark need help with but we'll, we'll see or get Dan to do your backing vocals again because he's done that before hasn't he so he did yeah on, on the production front so I, I produced that at their studio um, yeah. on the same day that they got me to play a bunch of guitar stuff for, for one of their mixtapes um, and uh, and I, I was you know I, I had my sheet of paper with like the, the line and the take number and stuff like that, which was like the, the kind of technique that I'd learned from Steve. And, uh, and I was like, yeah, so just, um, just one, just give me one, one more really good one. Sort of that. And, and, and Dan and Mark were wetting themselves. Up and they were like, fucking hell, you're a bit of a slave driver, aren't you? <laughs> and I just, you know, I, this wasn't good enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I, I definitely made him re- really hard. But hey, the results speak for themselves. He kicked ass. It sounded beautiful. So <laughs> <laughs> worth it. Well, thank you again. Uh, as I say, it's been an absolute joy chatting to you, Charlie. Really insightful yeah. and, and a pleasure and fun. I think the listeners are, are going to get so much from this. Oh, thank good. you for your, so. for your time. Yeah. Oh, thanks very much for having me. It's been very nice meeting you both as well. Yeah, um, yeah. and uh, hopefully one day um, when, when I'm in Leeds and we're allowed to see people again, <laughs> <laughs> we can hang out and say hello properly. Exactly. Have that uh, that coffee in your coffee shop where you work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Abertega Milanese, the finest. Oh, beautiful. But only if you serve it. <laughs> Just to keep you grounded. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, brilliant. Thanks to all of you out there for listening to our podcast today. All information relating to our podcast and guests can be found on our Facebook page, The Connected Singer. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter. If you have enjoyed this episode's podcast, we would really appreciate your support by subscribing and helping us to continue in creating a connected community of listeners and specialists connected to the field of singing and beyond. Take care of yourselves and each other and see you next time. The Connected Singer